This is Voices of COVID-19. I'm Brian Lucas. Thanks for joining us. How would you feel about living in a community that so far had seen exactly one case of COVID-19? Chances are you'd feel safe, like things are under control. What if I told you that community also has zero ICU beds and the only ventilator is only used to transport patients to the nearest intensive care unit, which is two and a half hours away? Finally, what if this is a community where the economy relies on tourism and we're heading into the busy summer months when families will roll into town from across the region? Suddenly, you might not feel quite as safe and hopefully you'd be motivated to be extra careful. This is exactly the situation in Cook County, Minnesota, in the farthest north part of the state. Cook County has been working hard to keep the pandemic at bay, realizing that even a small outbreak could cause big problems. They are one example, like many others around the country, where COVID-19 might seem like it's not a real threat because there haven't been many cases, but where vigilance is critical, even at a time when people are getting a little restless about the continued social distancing and wearing of masks. Cook County has been a success story so far, and one of the people working to keep it that way is Grace Grenager, the public health supervisor for the county. She joins me today to talk about the unique challenges facing rural areas and small towns as we continue to deal with this pandemic. With that, I'd like to welcome Grace Grenager. Grace, I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for speaking with me today. Yeah, absolutely. Happy to be here. The first question I have is, I'm wondering if you can kind of set the stage for listeners who might not be familiar with Cook County. Can you describe Cook County in terms of population, and then also a little bit in terms of the type of health care that you have in your county. What, what are the health care systems like in your county? Sure. So Cook County, Minnesota is the northeast tip of the state. We are bordered by Lake Superior and by Canada. So we are one of the least populated counties within the state of Minnesota. We have about 5,000 people and much of the space in our county is actually wilderness areas. The economy here is very, very dependent on seasonal tourism. By far the busy time of year for us here in Cook County is summer. Probably 80% of our local economy is, is entirely dependent on tourism. Our health system is is small. I mean, we have very caring, skilled professionals working in our healthcare system, but really the strength of our, our health system is high quality primary care and getting people to the next level of care if they were to need intensive care services. So we do have a, a hospital. We have a 16-bed critical access hospital. We have one long-term care facility, but you know we don't have an intensive care unit. We don't have ventilators for people in an ICU. We do have a ventilator that goes with the ambulance if someone needs to transport down to that next level of care, which m- many times is in Duluth, which is about two and a half hours from Grand Marais, which is our county seat. We also have the Grand Portage Band of Chippewa Ojibwe within Cook County. It's its own sovereign nation. So we do have the Grand Portage tribe here in Cook County as well. So that's kind of a snapshot of of what the community looks like. So in some ways, Cook County is a social isolation dream in terms of low population, high landmass, a lot of nature, people being outside. Has that been the way that it has played out as COVID has 
kind of rolled across the country? Yes and no. I think you're you're absolutely right that in some ways it's it's easy to socially isolate here. Uh, I think even in non-COVID times, we we have people socially isolating in in cabins in the woods, and so in that regard, we're not as vulnerable as a big metro area where there's more people in closer contact with one another. But you know, given that we do have limitations to our healthcare system. We also have a, an, an aging population here. About a, a third of our population, more or less, is um, over the age of 65. And that alone puts them at higher risk for complications from COVID. So I do think people have taken the socially distancing seriously here. I mean, even though we have this big wilderness area and we're spread out, people do like to get together. I mean, we still have meetings and gatherings and get together at people's houses and have events in town. And so we're not just always socially isolating and in non-pandemic times. So I think it has still been challenging for people to, to be separated from one another during the pandemic here. Now, I understand that for a long time, Cook County had no confirmed cases of COVID. But recently, I think I thought I saw June 10th, there was an article that there was the first confirmed case. A lot of times when people aren't faced with something personally, it's hard for them to understand it and realize just how serious it is. When you were going along and you had no confirmed cases in your county, how did you impress upon people just how serious it was and why they needed to really be taking it seriously? I think that our community was taking it seriously even before we had our first case. Um, if you think about the pandemic really taking off and starting mid-March, it was almost three months before we saw our first case, and we still only have one case. I do think, uh, you know, late May, early June, that's right around the time that our economy picks up and the summer tourist season picks up. And at that point, I do think people were getting restless. And even after our first case, I think people here in Cook County and uh, in other parts of the state and the country are getting a little bit tired of, of coronavirus and all of the changes that it's brought to our lives and the social distancing and the mask wearing and all of that. But by and large, I've been really impressed with our local community taking this on and really meeting the challenge in a way that seems very responsible to me. And obviously, it's not every single person, but but I think as a community, we're doing pretty well. On some level, I, I think that the challenges that you're facing there are interesting, especially when you tell me you, you don't have an ICU and you have one ventilator, but it's used to transport people. And we're hearing, you know, across the country, everybody's like, we need ventilators, we need ventilators. And you're thinking, we don't have any ventilators. You're struggling with a whole different perspective on this, what a major outbreak is to you is different than what a major outbreak is, you know, even in the Twin Cities. How did you wrap your brain around that? And was there ever this moment where you're like, we need to get some ventilators? That was something that came up in the community. But I think, you know, from a healthcare systems perspective, a ventilator doesn't just come with all of the the wraparound services that it needs to do its job, right? Like you have a ventilator and you need a nurse that's trained in how to take care of a patient on a ventilator. And you need, you just need your health system to be set up in a different way. And, and rural healthcare, it's really about meeting acute needs, meeting people's primary care needs, and then and making strong connection to where more intensive resources exist. And this is even pre-pandemic. I mean, all sorts of specialty care happens in, in 
more populated areas. So it's not something that is new to people. So there was that question of, well, we don't have any ventilators. Should we get a ventilator? But I think from a health systems perspective, um, it was kind of an educational moment that, you know, we're not going to be something that we weren't designed to be as a rural healthcare system. From the very beginning, we're very aware of what our limitations were. But I think we were also very aware of what our strengths were, and we've been able to build on that over over time. So even though you've had just the one case, I think it would be safe to say that that coronavirus has still had an impact on your community in terms of people's mental health, people's economic health, um, just the impact of isolation on people. What have you noticed and what are some of the sort of residual effects of a pandemic on a community like yours? I don't know if we can even say residual at this point because I feel like, you know, we're still in the pandemic, but uh, other effects, I would say the mental health effects of living through a pandemic are huge. We all were staying at home with Governor Walz's stay-at-home order. We still had kids who were, you know, learning at home. We've had people who were laid off because of changes in the economy due to COVID. So I think the the mental health and the economic effects of the pandemic have have hit hard, even if we haven't had as many cases as other parts of the state or the country at this point. And I think that we're trying to be mindful of that in our response and treat that just as seriously as we would actual cases of COVID. Because if our community is struggling with mental health, that's important. That's we, we want to make sure that people are well in a very holistic sense of the word. It's it's not just that we don't want people to, to get COVID. It's that we want to be able to take care of people, whether that means they need to connect with testing, that needs, means they need medical care, that means they need, you know, access to behavioral health support and mental well-being support, or if they need to know how to access um, public assistance resources, those those resources exist, and we're trying to to not prioritize one need over another. Because you're right, this has been stressful for the community on a number of levels. I wanted to ask about this strange sort of push pull of living in a community that is so reliant on tourists, but at the same time, there may be a reluctance to just welcome people into the community because they may be carrying COVID, do you find that there are people in the community who are saying, you know what, we want to keep people out? Or is everybody saying, hey, just come on in. We rely on this. We need this. We can't keep people out. You know, I think there's been a little bit of both and maybe even within the same individuals where people feel one way at one point in time and the other at a different point in time, or maybe both simultaneously. I think even before we had a case, there was a sense that, you know, maybe we can keep COVID out. And so there was this education coming from public health where we talked about in a pandemic, you can't just keep a virus out. A pandemic means that the virus spreads everywhere, even into our little corner of the world. And so really, it's not about keeping the virus out. It's about managing how the virus spreads so that when we do have cases, we're able to give them the care and attention that they need. I think, though, the idea that our economy is based on tourism and tourism is based on the movement of people, that does increase the chance that the virus will pass from person to person. I think that's made it all the more important to do the basic public health education about 
social distancing, washing hands, staying home when you're sick. It is difficult from a public health perspective to try to message that to a group that is as transient as a tourist community where people are coming and going every day and every week and there are different people every day and every week. But you're absolutely right. I mean, with 80% of our economy dependent on tourism, we're never going to just keep tourists out of the economy. And it's also part of our culture. I mean, our culture is in many ways shaped by the fact that we have so many visitors coming and going every summer. And so the challenge has been trying to create a conversation that's a little bit more nuanced and focused on the prevention aspect of of COVID that is all of those public health best practices that I feel like I'm just a broken record about because I talk about them so often. But how do you make that actually work? I mean, it's it's hard. It's easy to say, yeah, socially distance. And then you're at a busy restaurant downtown and everyone's waiting for their food outside in a crowd. And it's like, okay, could we prevent this from happening? Is there anything we can do in these very specific situations to make this public health advice come to life for people and make it work in an area with so much tourism. So that's been our challenge to try to drive the conversation to a place where we can make some positive change and make a difference rather than focus on the dichotomy of what should we be doing in this situation. Because it's ultimately not really something that can move us forward in a, in a productive way. I heard something about somebody had like cut a tree and put it over the main highway um, leading into the county to, as sort of a keep people out. Is that true? Yeah, yeah, that did happen. That happened uh, not too long ago. And there was speculation that maybe it was just this like message of, you know, stay away. But I'm hoping it's just this isolated incident. And really, it's speculation as to what, why did that tree get cut down in the road? I mean, they didn't even know why they did that. But, um, but yeah, that did happen. And it, that was, thankfully, law enforcement caught it um, and had the tree removed promptly because it was a huge public safety hazard. I mean, it was on a kind of bend in the highway. So someone driving at night could have really gotten hurt on that. Right now, as we, you know, the country as a whole is starting to open up a little bit, but the numbers are not really, in all cases, supporting the fact that we are even part way through the woods in, in in a lot of ways. What concerns do you have from a public health perspective in terms of this perception that, all right, we're opening up again? Are people still going to be taking it as seriously as they need to to keep your county under control the way it has been? What I've been trying to do is to work with the businesses in our community that interface most frequently with tourists, using the, the points of contact to be kind of the messengers when it comes to public health advice. So if it's a store, for example, encouraging them to require masks for employees and to follow all those best practices as they open their businesses up. I think my general philosophy throughout the pandemic has been to try to find ways where we can make a difference in our local public health department and to really focus on those practices so that we don't become overwhelmed with how big the pandemic can seem and actually be helpful in putting our energies into places where they'll make a difference. I hope that when visitors come into the community, 
that they'll very quickly realize what our expectations are as they're here on their visit, on their vacation, um, and not see us as a, a place where they can hide away from the pandemic, but as a place where they can enjoy the wonderful parts of our community that people enjoy every year as they come to vacation here, but also to do that in a way that's very respectful of our community's health by even if the place that they're coming from maybe doesn't take the the social distancing and the mask wearing and all of that super seriously, I want people to know when they come visit that this is important to us and it's a sign of respect to really uh, abide by those ideals while they're here. How is masking going there? Because, you know, there's starting to be a, a real pushback in some communities about you can't tell me what to do. I don't, I don't like wearing a mask. There was some, I think, misinformation early on about, oh, masks don't really do that much. And now we're seeing that they really are a critical piece in terms of trying to keep this under control. From your perspective in, in, in the communities that you serve, what is the perspective on masking and what kind of response are you seeing on that? I think that generally people are open to wearing a mask while they're here. I think, like anywhere, there are a few people who don't feel the same way. I also think that how we frame it and how we try to encourage mask wearing in a community, that approach really matters. So the message that we've trying, we try to emphasize is that the mask is an act of respect toward the people around you. And when you frame it that way, it's not about, you know, how you feel. It's about how people around you are feeling because of your actions. So we're trying to make it more about kindness and respect. We have gotten messages from from some businesses and community members that have wondered if we can make it mandatory here. And that's where I start to worry about potential political pushback. I want to make sure that we keep this focused on public health. That's been something that's been hard for me to watch happen outside of our community on a state and national level is that it's become so political. And from my perspective, that's not what it is. It's it's about keeping people around you healthy. And I, I feel like that, that doesn't have to be a divisive ideal. It just it can be something about about respect. So we don't have any sort of mandatory mask wearing um, within any of our cities or within our county. But it is something that we strongly encourage. And we've also tried to make the masks available very easily to community members. So we've tried to do some targeted outreach and education to make sure that everyone has a mask, knows why they should use it, and feels comfortable using it. Um, And many business owners have masks that people coming into their facility can either use or that they can take, essentially, or buy. There have been situations where someone will get upset. I think it's mostly the frontline workers at businesses that have to to have those interactions with people. And that's unfortunate. I mean, no one wants to be the person working at like the grocery store or the gift shop and suddenly have to get into a confrontation with someone over a mask. I don't think it happens the majority of times, but I think when it does happen, it's stressful for people. And and that's really unfortunate. So as you look ahead, you know, not knowing really where we are in terms of are we in the third inning? Are we in the sixth inning? Are we in the first inning? (laughs) And the uncertainty around this, what is your hope going forward? And are there any lessons that you hope we learn from this that will serve us well in the future pandemic or not? I think where we're at right now is that 
We all feel like we need to make a way for this pandemic response sustainable for the people who live in our community. And people are getting tired of having everything revolve around COVID. So I think our next challenge is really how to make this something that people feel like they can live with for an unspecified period of time. Because as you say, we're not really sure how long we're we're in the age of COVID. That's where our, our energies are going to be turning. I think it's something that we should be proud of and reflect on when this is all over, that part of why we're doing well in the face of such a challenging time on so many levels is because we've had each other's back and we haven't gotten into a situation where this feels divisive. And that's something I'm really grateful for and, and really proud of the community for, for doing. Well, I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for taking the time and please stay safe. And, and I hope that your community continues to, to keep this under control and emerge from it even stronger. So, so thank you so much. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. Voices of COVID-19 is an attempt to document the thoughts and feelings of people who are perhaps outside the limelight to get personal reflections on how a pandemic impacts all of our lives. If you know of someone who might make a good guest on this podcast, please send them to me at brian at truevoicecommunications.com. Thanks for listening. Stay safe and stay separate. And we'll get through this together.